Well, um, hey, I was going to say good morning, everybody, again, but good evening. Uh, man, this is weird for us. Like, we were back there. We all had the giggles. We were a little bit delirious. Um, and, and I was like, I didn't know what to do with my time. In between um, the, the finish of the last service, like 1230 when I left here, so I got back up here a little before five. I'm like, I just, I don't know what to do. Like, I watched golf, and that was great, but it, I was like, I, I know, it's just, it's coming, right? And so I, 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 I it's weird. But we said, what a great thing it is for us to be delirious right now. What a great thing it is for us to need three services here at St. Andrews. What a, what a great thing it is to see all the stuff. Man, we had over 500 people in the two services this morning. Yeah, that's awesome. And now, and now you people are here as well. And so it was a great thing. It was very exciting. We had a grow hour at 10 o'clock. And I walked into uh, two of the different classes. I walked by one. One of the classes had 45 people in it in a room that holds 20. I mean, they were just like crammed in there. And like, ah! I was like, wow. And then another room, it was, I mean, they were rocking and rolling down in, um, in one of our older uh, classes. And, and, and if, you are a, if you're going to be a 6 o'clock person, great, man. We're going to love it. We're going to have fun. Um, Seth Bell walked in. And he goes, I don't know if um, I'm wearing shorts and does Jesus think less of me? And I said, no, but I do. Um, so it's okay. It's okay to wear shorts to this. How many of you are wearing shorts and are pra- like thankful, like praising Jesus? I can do it. Yeah. So uh, Zonker comes up. He goes, I'm glad you're untucked, man. I didn't know if that was okay or not. Yeah, it's cool to be untucked. All right. This is the, this is the no holds barred service. We're all friends here. If you want to wear a suit, though, that's, we're going to seat you in the balcony. Um, so a, a couple of things um, before we get rolling. Look, if you're a 6 o'clock person, great. If you come in and out and you're like, hey, you know what? I want to come to the 9 o'clock contemporary service sometimes. Maybe dabble in tradition. Hit the 11 o'clock. Um, and, and I want to go to the grow hour. Look, we had some great, great small groups that kind of launched today during the grow hour. And with our kids, with our youth, um, all through different ages of adults. And, and there's some of these things in the back. On, uh, in the ta- on the narthex, uh, some of you have them. It has all different classes. There's one that's left off, to, off of here. It's in the bulletin, but it says it's experiencing God. And, and that's a great, it's an old study. Some of you may remember that study, but it's a good study. Um, love for you to, to participate in those things. Uh, the kids had a great time, so did the youth. And, and there was sausage pinwheels in the activity center for us to eat. Come on now, hallelujah to sausage pinwheels. I had about 30 dozen of those. It was, I was pushing old ladies out of the way to get some, some pinwheels. You don't need sausage, you're old. Um, so this right here, everybody grab this out of your uh, bulletin. Wave it at me like you're surrendering. Right here, this little piece of paper. It says connection card, but there's nothing stiff about this. It is not card-like. Connection thing. Okay, some of you are participating, and some of you are just like, no, make me. Um, oh, you don't have them. Okay, there you go. Good. All right, just making sure. Uh, so this right here, we're going to push this for four Sundays, and then I'm not going to talk about it anymore. But the reason we are doing this is because we need to know who's here. We want to know who's here. We, we take it seriously that if you come to our campus that you are under our care, shepherd care as, as we care for you. And, and so we want your information. And this is a hassle-free guarantee, okay? I'm not going to call you. I'm not going to email you. I'm not going to send you a whole bunch of stuff. We are not going to fill your mailbox, either snail mail or otherwise, with a bunch of junk. We just want to know who you are. Um, and, and this will really help us. If you all do this, I will stop talking about it. I don't believe that you're going to. But if you all do it, I'll stop talking about it. Just fill it out, put it in the offertory box um, when it comes by, uh, the offertory plate later, or give it to uh, one of our ushers in the back as you, uh, you filter out this, this evening. So there you go. Uh, am I missing anything? 
feel like I am. There's a lot of stuff. Back to school bingo. Who likes bingo? Yeah, bingo. Everybody does, right? You got to talk like this, though. Um, so, so bingo, we're having back to school bingo and ice cream social Saturday, August 24th, down in Fellowship Hall from 4 to 5.30. If you, you're like, back to school, I don't have kids. I don't care. If you, ha- if you love bingo, come on. Bring a blotter or two. Help us out. Um, and then we're doing a prayer thing uh, tomorrow morning. August is going to be in here leading some worship, and, and uh, some of us will be in here praying for, uh, for our students. And just as the first day, some of you may be really sad because you're sending your kids off for the first time, or some of you may want to come in and praise Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Um, so we, uh, we'll have some uh, breakfast in here, and we would love for you to come. All right. That's a lot. I'm not going to lie. I, be, I don't write my sermons. I don't know if you all know this or not. Um, but I, uh, so w- when I do this, I just told the worship team back there, I was like, it's been a long time since I've done three, um, really in one day. And the problem with three for me, because I don't write them is, have I already said that? Or did I say it at another service? So <laughs> I, you, this may be really short. I may feel like I've already said, all right, amen. Have a good night. Um, or, or you may hear the same thing multiple times. Just go with it, okay? Just smile and nod like it's the first time I've said it tonight. So we are beginning a new series called Come to the Table. And, and I, I'm really excited about this. It's based on a book by this guy, Leonard Sweet. And, and his premise is, um, in the first cup, knowing God, that's actually wrong. Because God talked to me this morning. He goes, no, 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 you, you need to set the table before you come to the table. And so tonight we're setting the table. Next week we'll get to the first, first cup. But, but today we're going to set the table. And here's, here's the thing is Christianity is an endangered species. Christianity in the Western world is an endangered species. And, and, and how, do you, how do you define that? Right? If you take any, any species in the animal kingdom and they have a reproductive problem, they have a problem birthing more than they are dying, we put them on this little list and we say they're, they're the endangered species. And eventually if they, if they no longer can reproduce and they all die, what do they become? Uh, yeah, not a trick question, extinct, right? And the Western church is heading this way. If you look at our numbers, if you look at um, how the Western church is going, it's just going down. The, the, the numbers of people who are coming into churches and calling themselves Christians and active in a Christian lifestyle is going down and down and down. In fact, the greatest, the greatest uh, like thing that people call themselves is nuns. Not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S. They have no affiliation whatsoever. Like, you know what, I'm just, I'm religious. I just believe in a lot of different things. I believe in all sorts of, and I just take pieces of different things. And, and this really kind of, it's new agey type stuff. It's kind of a new atheism type thing that's just really spreading, spreading around. And, and there's a reason that Leonard Sweet points out in his book, and that I believe that, that we're having this problem. It's, it's because we forgot how to tell our story. See, the language of the culture today is storytelling. It's very clear if you look across our culture that storytelling is hugely important to communication today. You can look at Instagram and you see these Insta stories or Facebook and you have these stories. I get, uh, I'm, I'm on Facebook and Instagram for the purpose of my daughter and many of you will know that she like will randomly post stuff. Um, but it like, so it pops up, Somewhat, so-and-so added to their story. You know, and they're, they're putting these things up, and they have an ad in here that is to their story. And I'm like, I, so I don't care. Delete, you know, and it's not true. About you all, I do. It's the other services I don't care about. Uh, and, and so there's all these stories. And if you look at, uh, what, what's the one, TikTok? Do you all know TikTok? It's this new, it's this new app, and it's, it's a video app. And essentially, it's, it's telling a story 
through this short little video. Advertising agencies know this too. Everyone is selling you stuff now based on stories. They're trying to tell you a story to get you to buy in or to buy what they are trying to sell. There's a company called Shangri-La, and they're very good at this. They have this wonderful um, commercial that um, is just awesome. And and so it begins with, I I don't have it up here because I'm not, I'm lazy or something, but um, it it begins with this guy and he's walking, he has all these big fur coats on and he's kind of, his face is beat up and he's got a, he's hadn't shaved in a while and he's just trunching through all this deep snow and you could tell he's just freezing cold and and there's these trees and this this beautiful soundtrack that comes up, this Hollywood type soundtrack that starts building behind him as he's tranching through this stuff. And, and you look through the trees and every now and then you see this wolf start to appear and then another wolf start to appear. And then the music follows along and it kind of builds with this whole scene that's playing out, right? And then eventually this guy, he, he just like can't step any further and he falls down into the snow. He just, just crashes down in the snow. And right then, the first wolf who gets there just jumps down on him. And the music is at this big pitch. And the, and the wolf jumps down and just snuggles up next to him. And, and then it kind of pans back. And all the other wolves kind of come up. And they all snuggle up next to this dude. And, 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 it, and then the music kind of changes to this beautiful little thing. And, and the camera backs up. And there it is, the guy the next day. He's just waking up. And he has all these wolves who have covered him and cared for him through the night. And they say, and, and then it just comes on words. There's no talking. Shangri-La, we welcome everyone to our hotels. It's a, it's a hotel? What? But let me tell you, have you ever been really cold? Do you know what it feels like when you're super, super cold and then all of a sudden you get all snuggly with something? That feels amazing, right? I mean, who doesn't love to be snuggled? Everybody loves to be snuggled. And they're like, come to our hotel and we'll snuggle you. May not sell the way that they think it will, but you get the picture, right? It's like this beautiful story that they're telling. When you come to our place, we will love you and care for you. So come to our hotels. It's a story. Everyone is selling stuff with stories. And and, and honestly, story is our native language. As Christians, we begin speaking with story. This right here, it's a story. This is a story from the very beginning to the very end. It is the greatest story ever told. It's this amazingly great, wonderful, powerful story, and yet we have no idea how to tell the story anymore. Because as Sweet suggests, we have this kind of malady called versitis. See, what we did along the way is it was all written as a story, but then somewhere along the way we're like, it's really kind of long and kind of confusing. Can we put chapters in there? Can we put verses in there? And so we become chapter verse people and we get this little thing called versitis. L- let me tell you what I mean by this. John three sixteen. who knows it? Say it. Right, John, yes, we, most of us know that, right? And, and we remember it at, the, at like Spurs games when the guy's holding up the sign, John three 16. I've never really understood why they did that. But. So yeah, we know that. And most of you knew it in the same translation. You were all saying it like pretty much the same exact words. What's John three fifteen? 
Okay, that one's a little harder. This one's easier. John three seventeen. Huh. Okay. What's the story that surrounds John three sixteen? Anybody that hasn't been to two services already? It's cheating. It's the story of Nicodemus. Right? What, what Jesus is saying here is hugely important to everything that he's going to do. It's at the beginning of the Gospel of John, the third chapter, and he sets out, and we, we know this John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Right? But, but what's the rest of that story? And that's, the rest of that story is a huge, significant moment. It's the juxtaposition between the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. But we only focus on the central part. We miss the rest of what Jesus is trying to say because we don't know the story. Telling the story is so important. In fact, that's how Jesus taught most of the time. We call them parables. He told stories. Why? Because stories stick. Stories mean something. They become a part of who you are. A chapter and a verse can be put on a bumper sticker the significance is lost if we miss the story. And God didn't write it in chapter verse. God told a story. From the very beginning to the very end. So what do we have to do? If we want to become, get off the endangered list, we have to begin to tell the story again. We have to learn how to tell that story again. Let, let me tell you some people who know how to do it. The Amish. The Amish have a 95% retention rate of their kids. 95. That's huge. Especially when you think that they're Amish. Right? I mean, it's 2019, man. I mean, come on. They're Amish. And yet, do you know, like, they have this, the, every, every Amish kid gets to a point in their adulthood, and I can't remember, it's like 18, they're, there's a TV show on Bravo or something about it. You've probably all seen it. But when they get to this, they have this um, room spring year. This year where, where they get to go out and do whatever they want. They get to go test every other religion. They get to go test everything. They get to go. There is nothing that is prevented of them. They're like, hey, man, here are the keys to the world. Go have fun. And these kids go off and they go to big cities and they go to different places and, and they look into all these things. 95% of them come back. 95% of them. When they get back, they're like, hey man, we're not going to talk about that last year. We're glad you're home. How do they do it? How is it so transformative? Well, there's three books that every Amish household has. The Bible, a book called The, the Martyr's Mirror, and then a book called The Osophon. It's not as easy to say as it sounds. The Osophon. I've, I've said it the exact same way all three services, I think. Still don't know really how to say it, nor do I know how to pronounce it. But as far as you know, it's called The Osophon. So you have these three books, and, and the Bible is the Bible, right? The Bible is telling the story of God. It is the story of Christianity, it's the story of creation, it's the story of Jesus and all that stuff. The, the, the martyr's mirror is the story of the Amish faith. It's the, their story. It's the story of the giants of the Amish faith who have carried their cross. They know these things. The is the handbook which puts it to music. 
It's, it's this musical handbook that takes the stories of Scripture and it takes the stories of, of the martyr's mirror and it puts it to music. Now, how do they use these? Every night at an Amish household, they come to a table and they share a meal and they look one another in the eyes and they have these transformative moments. From the very moment when you're born, you come to this table and you eat dinner as a family. And the eldest person at the table begins to tell a story. From the very beginning of their lives, these kids have been poured into time and time again their story. So that when they go off to do their year of testing everything, they don't go off with questions. They go off with certainty about who they are. Let me tell you another group that does it pretty good. The Jews. You might be familiar with them as well. There's 14 million Jews in the world today, approximately. About 7 million of them live in Israel. 7 million of them live around the rest of the world. There's 36 million people in America. 35 in Canada. <laughs> sorry, we beat them all the time. There's 7 billion people in the world at large. The Jews are point. of the global population. It is an insignificant number. 2% of the global population. They don't matter. Unless you start looking at ways that we measure human achievement. Nobel Prizes. Nobel Prizes are awarded to Jews 30 to 40% of the time. Pulitzer Prizes. 25% to 30%. Patents that have been awarded, 40 to 50%. Oscars, Tonys, Grammys, all these ways that we look at human progress and innovation and creativity, the Jews have an overwhelming bulk of movement, especially when you compare it to their population size. When you look at the influence that the Jewish population has on the movement of humanity across time, it is hugely significant for such a tiny group of people. How do they do it? People have asked this question, and so people have studied it. They've asked the question, how is this group of people so extremely productive and influential on the world? And most every one of these studies comes back to the same thing. Because they know who they are. They know who they are without a doubt. They never question their identity. And so they can go into the world and be creative and be innovative and push boundaries because they're not questioning their identity. How do they do that? What's the highest and holiest moment in a Jewish family's life? And where does it happen? It happens around the dinner table. Every week, they sit down for a Shabbat meal, a Sabbath meal. Every week, they sit down as a family, and they share a meal together, and they look one another in the eye. And the eldest in the room begins to tell a story. He begins to tell their story. See, every... Every Jewish family, when they gather together, they they tell the stories of of who they are. 
They tell the stories of not just who they were, but who they are. Because there's two important things about this, these nights. And, and these are just Sabbath nights. It, it becomes a bigger thing when you get to the ho- holy festivals. Like the Seder meal or Sukkot or, or all those different ones. The two things are, one, you have not properly heard these stories until you hear them as your story. Like You don't truly get the story of Esther until you hear it as, I am in Esther's shoes. It didn't just happen to Esther, it happened to me. You don't really hear the story of David until you say, I get what it felt like to go up against a giant because I was there. You don't really understand the story of Moses until you see yourself in the place of Moses. And the second thing is this, that you must, that the kids must, that the people around the table must question the story. You must question the story. You must sit there on one night and, and the story that's being told is about a man being swallowed by a fish and go, whoa, time out. I watched the Discovery Channel. There's no way that's possible. I've seen Shark Week. There's no way he would be alive afterwards, right? You must be allowed to question because the story is big enough to handle it. And so what these kids are taught to do is is around this dinner table with all of their loved ones and they're throwing the story, they're taught to question these things and to push on it, to have dialogue with their elders about the story that formed them into who they are. So that by the time they are 13, they reach this moment where they go to a bar or bat mitzvah. They reach this moment where they step into their adulthood. They step into their identity. They don't question it because they know it, because they've been steeped and marinated and saturated in their story. They know who they are. Whereas Christianity, us, a lot of times what we do when we get our kids up to a teenage year or maybe they're graduating high school is ah, we have these words. Why don't you take some time to go find yourself? Right? How, how many people do we know that, that take gap years? Oh, I just, I don't know what I'm going to do, so I'm going to go walk around Europe, find myself. No one has ever found themselves, by the way, when they walk around Europe. We, we, we have these kids that we're launching into the world and they have no clue who they are because we have not told them. And so they're walking into the world like, I need to go find myself. And the world's like, come on in because we will tell you who you are. There's tons of people lining up to say, this is who you are. We have been so wishy-washy about identity and so scared to go to that third rail that we have all these kids going into the world and they're being fed all of these lies. And consequently, we have generations below mine, the millennial generation and the generation behind them that are some of the most depressed people ever because they don't know who they are. Because we didn't tell them. I know what you might be thinking. Isn't it a little imperialistic of you to force that story on them? Aren't we more open-minded than this? Shouldn't we be more open-minded to be able to share, this is who you are? Why don't you go find it and test this and all this? Let me tell you, in my house, we speak English. 
Some of us better than others. When my kids got to the point, when Corbin got to the point where he was ready to talk, I didn't sit him down and go, Corbin, French is a cool language. You want to try French? How about German? What do you want to speak, buddy? No, you're speaking English because that's what we speak in our house. You don't get a choice. You may go learn another language, but in our house, in the house of Crocker, we speak English. Guess what? In the house of Crocker, we also serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when you come to our house and you're a child in our house, that's the story that you are going to hear. That is the story that you will be told. That is the story that will hopefully bring formation and identity into you. And here's another reason why. Because it's the right one. It's the true one. And it is the one, that story, that if it really takes root in somebody, it will change their life. It will change their life. But here's the thing about it. Is that story that we tell that story, we've lost the ability to tell it because I think that many of us don't know it. And many of us feel like we do, but somewhere something is just not clicking. And so when that happens, the best thing to do is to go back to Jesus. And what was Jesus doing? What was the story that Jesus was telling? Well, Jesus was telling the same story that they had been telling in the Old Testament. The same story has traveled throughout the story of Scripture. And it first appears in the book of Exodus. It says, Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. This is the story that Jesus was telling the night he was betrayed. It's the same story that Jews tell, have told for thousands of years, regardless of if they're religious or not, around the Seder table. It's the story that's the formational story of the identity of the people of Israel. It's God saying, I am your God and you will be my people. And these are the four ways. One is I will bring you sanctification. I will bring you salvation. I'm going to set you apart from everyone else. And the second cup is I'm gonna bring a cup of deliverance. I'm gonna bring some healing into your life. As soon as you know who I am, man, we gotta let go of some of the dark stuff. So we're gonna bring some healing and set you free. And, And then I'm gonna bring you a cup of redemption. I'm going to restore you and call you into the place that I had planned for you from the very beginning. And then I'm gonna bring you the cup of praise. I'm going to call you my own, and I'm going to set you out into the world. See, Jesus says it this way in in Mark. He says, go into the world and preach that cup of salvation, the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized, is set free, will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe when they step into their purpose. And then the disciples go out and they make a difference. Paul says it this way in, in Colossae. I'm going to do a couple of these because I'm telling you, it's everywhere. This story is everywhere. He is the one we proclaim. We admonish and we 
teach everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. We proclaim Christ so that we admonish them to help them get free from where they've been. We teach them to help them discover who God wants them to be. And then we release them. He says it this way to the Ephesians. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. What what Paul boils it down to right here is four things. This whole story that Jesus has told throughout all the different parables, Every time he sits down at a meal, he's telling a story, and part of this story is in it. The four things are, are to know God, or to find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. That's the story. That's the story that Jesus continues to tell. And that's the story that we are called to tell at our tables. How often do you sit down around a table with someone and share a meal and look them in the eye and have that transformative moment where you're connecting with another of God's people? You know that the number one indicator of academic success in high school and college for children, when when I saw this, I didn't believe it. The number one indicator for success for all of these little students right here is how many times they sat down with their family for dinner on a weekly basis. Number one, not the school they went to, not the teachers that they had, not the tutors they had, but how many times they sat down with their family and heard stories about who they are. See, because that's what really happens if we do it, is we pour identity into those kids. Let me tell you a story about who you are. So that when they go into those academic circles, when they go into the world, they don't question who they are because they know I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of the Most High God. And I'm dearly loved. No matter what comes against me, no one will ever take that from me. Three times a week. That's it. Three times was the demarcation line for people who went up and people who just couldn't. Three times. This story is convicting to me because I look back over the past many weeks and I wonder how many times, I count how many times we as a family sat down together and shared a meal and shared stories. And I look at the coming weeks and I'm like, well, Corbin starts school tomorrow and he's got football practice after school and basketball after that and sixth grade's gonna be much harder this year and Grace has all the Grace's stuff and I'll have meetings up here at the church as we do at nights and and all these different things. And when am I gonna tell the story? I already am. I'm telling the story that those things matter more. Some of you are in the same position I am. You have kids that are still at home and and you have that opportunity to sit around. And some of you are like, hey man, we have kids who have kids. It's just just us at home. It's just me at home. I, I don't have this family that you're talking about to sit around a table. Let me tell you something. Yeah, you do. Because if you look at what Jesus did when he sat around a table, 
Every time he sat at a table, he was with family. Family of, of people who were outcasts and nobody else wanted to talk to, the religious elite, the destitute, whomever sat around the table with him and everyone was welcome. It was a family meal. And these four cups came out. Over the next four weeks, we're gonna talk about these cups. We're gonna talk about what it means to find this cup, this first cup of salvation, of sanctification, which is a big word, just to say knowing God. What does it mean to sit around a table and share those stories? Maybe, maybe if we recapture this moment, this powerful process of just eating a meal together. Maybe we get off the endangered species list. But more than that, I've said this at every service, and I mean it. If we raise a generation of kids who know that they are loved by Jesus Christ and know that they are children of God, we will change the world. If we can get into our, some of us need to hear it ourselves, by the way. But if we can teach the young generation, and some of you that are elders, you have a bigger role to play than you think because you have more wisdom than you give yourself credit for and more stories about who God is in your life than I do. And I need you to come up to my table and sit with my kids and all these kids so that we can release a generation on this world that has never been seen and that will bring hope with them. The ushers are coming forward right now. We're gonna come to this time of offering and worship and I'm gonna ask you to stand in just a second to, to worship again with us. And I, I just, I'm gonna pray a little blessing over this offering, but, but what I wanna do is, I just wanna pray a blessing over all of us. Father, I, I thank you for all of these people who have come here on a Sunday evening to worship you, to come into your house and hear your story. God, I, I pray that we would find in us the strength and the discipline to take time out of our so-called busy lives to pull up a chair at a table to invite our family, all of our family, to sit with us, to share a meal, to look them in the eyes, to share the life-giving hope for the story of Jesus Christ. Father, may you move in our lives as we seek to honor you through this practice. May you receive this offering and magnify it by the power of your spirit that through it, others may hear your story, that they may find hope and redemption and purpose, and that they may make a difference in this world. We thank you, we praise you in Jesus' name.